You know, digital is a topic, of course, everyone is discussing these days, especially within community banking. We've seen digital transformation become one of the top priorities and something that came out of the survey as being something that keeps our CEOs up at night. There has been incredible change in mass culture around investing. Accessibility has never been higher. What's top of mind for every client is the incredibly challenging times that we're going through right now. Work is on trial. Every business has had to adapt the way that they work and how they work over the last two years. We know employee experience is something we need to focus on, but where do we even begin? Banking is a risk business, but in today's environment, we are being faced with uncertain times. Financial institutions have always had partners who could help evaluate, address, and mitigate risk, but today they need to lean on those partners more than ever. Welcome to Bank on Whitfleet. Each episode will feature discussions around industry issues, hot topics, and current trends, giving you an insider's look at how top performers and professionals are staying ahead of the curve. All right, let's get into today's conversation. Welcome everyone. Today's guest is Cheryl Lawson, Executive Vice President of Compliance Review for JMFA. Cheryl joined JMFA in 2001, rising quickly from consultant to engagement manager to EVP of implementation. Today, she serves as Executive Vice President of Compliance Review for Overdraft Privilege, ensuring the fulfillment of all regulatory requirements. Her responsibilities also include high-level sales support and administration for financial institutions. Cheryl is a sought-after authority for compliance issues related to overdraft programs, and she continues to be invited to speak at numerous industry events. Cheryl's impressive background includes more than 30 years of experience in global information technology and financial operations, as well as consulting, communication, training, and project management. She's a Houston native. She earned her bachelor's in English from Carnegie Mellon and an MBA from Rice University. Cheryl, what a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's delightful to be here. Great. We know many of our podcast listeners are focused on non-interest income for their financial institutions and may have overdraft programs in place, which is why you, we wanted you here, Cheryl, to take a closer look at this. And uh, perhaps we jump in. Would you provide our listeners some information about your role at JMFA and the types of clients you help? Absolutely. Um, so as your kind of intro said, I've been with JMFA over 20 years. We serve uh, financial institutions, mostly small to mid-sized uh, banks and credit unions all across the country. We have clients in every state. And my role is to be a compliance advocate for our clients. I support 100% of our clients with uh, materials, disclosures, uh, compliance information, as well as being able to assist them in responding to issues, for example, like examiner questions or litigation. Uh, it is one of the elements of our program that sort of sets us apart. We provide a 100% compliance guarantee to all of our financial institution clients, which means that if they have something that's going on in this very volatile environment, uh, they know for sure that the JMFA overdraft privilege program is a guaranteed win. It assures them the certainty that they're not going to get in trouble with their state or their federal examiners. Well, that is great to have you on the call because you are in the thick of it, so to speak, every day. <laughs> and uh, we certainly appreciate you being here. 
And if it's okay, maybe we'll jump in with some questions. Sure. Cheryl, uh, in preparing and talking, we know that overdrafts and overdraft programs have been making the headlines for several months. Can you give us an, uh, you know, kind of an overview of the current state of the service? Absolutely, and you're very gen generous to say for several months. In the last couple of years, there's probably been more attention to overdraft programs than for the last 10 years, I would imagine. Let me start kind of a little bit with, if you will, two, two different landscapes. Uh, we think of issues that occur in Washington really from two vantage points. One is what happens in the legislature, the Congress, and then the other is what happens by the agencies themselves. There have been over the years a number of efforts in the House, particularly under the leadership of Carolyn Maloney, for some sort of legislation around overdraft programs. It's, she tried nine times to get something out of committee, finally got it out of committee just before she lost her seat. And the reason that it's important to bring it up is because we've heard for 15 years probably about the legislative intent to restrict overdrafts. That's not news. It's been around for a long time. Uh, now that Carolyn Maloney is no longer in the House, uh, whether anyone will resurrect that same uh, level of advocacy against overdraft programs remains to be seen. But certainly one of the areas that people certainly in our industry are familiar with is are the legislators going to re remove the ability to provide overdraft services as of today you know 2023 the answer is we don't see that but it's certainly been a question over the last 12 or 15 years then there's the second landscape in washington and that's the agencies themselves um, i have been doing this work for long enough to remember before we had a cfpb and now that we do have a CFPB, I can say clearly that they've been um, making noise, but never really issuing rules or direction on overdraft programs. Uh, under the current leader, uh, Director Chopra made a lot of noise in December of 21, 2021, about what was called junk fees. And at that point, it kind of raised, if you will, the uh, temperature on overdrafts and regulation against overdrafts across the agencies. So that was kind of a uh, bellwether, if you will, for what was going on. What was actually issued in 2022 by the CFPB, and of course the CFPB, you know, uh, it affects everybody because they are the super authority. Uh, what was actually issued was a circular, um, not a rule, but a circular that raised the concern around what we think of as authorized positive, settled negative. They, they, they uh, have framed this technological issue where an item is authorized perhaps early in the day on an account balance that is positive. But then when it settles, sometimes later in the day or even the day after, the intervening transactions have reduced the account balance. We call it APSN or authorized positive, settled negative. So the CFPB raised that as a concern and they referred to those as surprise fees. The consumer would think, well, if you authorize it on good funds, then certainly you're not gonna assess me a fee if it accounts is, is, is negative when it says. That is right now where the CFPB has kind of landed, raising this as a concern. I can say out loud that I would wish that they would make it a rule that we not allow that so that the agent, so that the um, vendors would implement software solutions, but they haven't made it a rule. They've made it a circular. Uh, it is certainly an important issue for us to address. And right now, 
it sits at the top of the CFPB's known concerns, the issue of surprise fees for the condition of AP or authorized positive settle negative. The second thing that's going on with the CFPB, of course, is that they've now identified overdrafts as an area of pre-rule concern. Uh, whether there's a subsequent rule that comes out, you know, we can't see the future, we don't know for sure, but they're, they're, they're um, mentioning or, or referencing in this pre-rule the concern around is overdraft fee income, Reg Z income, Regulation Z income. So that's the way that they sort of positioned it. Don't know what will happen. I will tell you that some years ago, um, they put overdrafts on their uh, agenda. The agenda sort of tells you what they're going to do. It doesn't exactly tell you, but sort of tells you what areas they're focused on. And it sat on the agenda some years ago for four years, and then it went away. They never issued a rule. They never had a proposed rule. They never declined to have a rule. They just put it on the agenda, and it stayed there for a few years, and then it went away. I bring up that history lesson to remind everyone that just because the CFPB says they want to look at something doesn't necessarily mean that a rule is forthcoming. So we'll, we'll all have to kind of wait and see. Ben and the industry totally understand. And like you, I remember <laughs> before there was a CFPB. So good clarification, Cheryl. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's one of our agencies, certainly the most important because it sits atop all the others. Uh, the FDIC is actually the most, um, uh, has had the greatest voice in overdrafts. Uh, they've issued some uh, supervisory guidance. Uh, they've issued um, guidance in 2011 when none of the other agencies have. They've been the loudest, if you will, around overdrafts. Uh, their biggest concern right now has to do with the prospect or the concern around uh, UDAP violations or unfair and deceptive acts or practices associated with representment. So again, just a sort of very quick walkthrough. Representment is what occurs when an item is presented against an account and it cannot be paid. And then it is returned as an NSF or non-sufficient funds item back to the merchant who submitted it. It's important to remember that with an NSF transaction, um, the reason the item is not authorized, the reason the item is not paid, the reason the item goes back is because the consumer's account balance can't pay the item. There's a fee that's assessed, but it's because the account balance can't pay the item. In our program, the JMFA Overdraft Privilege Program, what we find is a high percentage of items get paid. So the representment issue is a smaller concern when you're paying 80, 90, 95% of the transactions, but it's always an issue. There'll always be some items that are returned in SF, simply the, the balance in the account is not sufficient to cover the item. So it's important, regardless of what program someone has to understand that concept you just talked about? Yes. And, uh, okay, I just wanna make yes. sure that we get that point for our listeners. Thank you, Cheryl. You're welcome. And I appreciate your interrupting me because as you can tell, I, I, I can just keep talking. <laughs> Keep talking, we're listening. <laughs> the FDIC's concern around the potential of a UDAP violation or an issue around UDAP has a lot to do with transparency. Uh, if you can imagine, you know, a, a, a financial institution's account terms and agreement or, 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 or member agreement, there's a lot of words in there. But for a long time, we've not needed 
to provide language around the issue of represent. It just wasn't a, it wasn't a factor for a long time. Uh, doesn't mean there weren't NSF items. Doesn't mean NSF items didn't return. It just means it wasn't an issue in our industry. Well, now it is an issue. And one of the reasons that it's become an issue is more around litigation and less around regulation. But that's a secondary conversation we'll have. So the FDIC's concerns around UDAP have to do with does the consumer understand that an NSF item can represent? Is the institution properly giving the consumer an opportunity to cure the account prior to the representment of that item? Does the consumer even understand the language that's being used in whatever disclosure you're providing? Uh, the FDIC specifically said, if you use the word item sometimes and you use the word transaction sometimes, will your consumer know what an item is or what a transaction is? It's a very basic concept, but if they question even such a concept, clearly financial institutions should be concerned and provide the level of transparency that will help the FDIC feel safe, so that the consumer is properly educated and that the institution is not taking unfair or deceptive actions against the consumer. Now, I'm not gonna talk a whole lot more about the FDIC's representment issues, except to say, that for our clients, JMFA's clients, we raised the representment disclosure language almost four years ago now, provided it to our clients. They've had such disclosure for all that time. And we've made changes over the years since then to increase the level of clarity and transparency around representment. The reason I say that is because we have a lot of clients that are FDIC examined and they've been examined and the issue of representment and the possibility of UDAP has been examined. And we found for those clients that we've gotten reports back on that none of them were found in any kind of a UDAP violation. So I'll have a little you know, commercial for our company because we started it long before the FDIC realized it was a concern and we've implemented it effectively across the years so that our clients have kind of bypassed that concern. Not every institution is a client of JMFA yet. Really for our listeners though, is to think if you're FDIC examined and you have a program, you should really understand this concept, I guess, Cheryl, would be the kind of takeaway you'd want? I think so, that's correct. So there's one other uh, uh, kind of agency that I think has had a voice and that's the NCUA. Um, for a little while, the NCUA sat silent. Last year, they had a webinar. Uh, Chairman Harper uh, arranged a webinar around overdrafts that occurred in the spring. And then this year, really, I guess late last year, but it was raised again uh, this year, there's been a clear description that they're going to increase their examination evaluation around overdraft programs. I've had a conversation with the NCUA and talked a little bit about what that looks like. They really want to make sure they know what changes uh, credit unions have been making to their program, if they've been making adjustments, what those are. Uh, we all know that the NCUA has never uh, signed on to or co-authored anything that the FDIC has issued in their supervisory guidance over the years. But the NCUA examiners certainly do look for 
their credit union clients to consider you know, heavy use and to recognize how do you minimize cost for the consumer and encourage disclosures and transparency. So what we know about the NCUA right now is that their intent is to look at overdraft programs more completely, I don't wanna say aggressively, but, but more thoroughly. And we think that the FDIC model of some of the guidance that they've provided to their regulated uh, banks is a good starting point for the FDIC's exams. Uh, we haven't seen their full exam outline. I think it's gonna be issued at the GAC, but we know that it will be similar to that that we've seen from the FDIC. They rewrote their exam manual last fall. Uh, we've gone through that with a fine-tooth comb, and those things that it's looking for make sense in the industry and are likely to be uh, replicated uh, through the NCUA's exam revisions. Well, there certainly is many regulators to think about, and we all know that if we're in financial services. I know there's probably been some uh, litigation concerns or changes in the marketplace that we have talked about preparing for it. So what kind of Commentary insights do you have there, Cheryl? So litigation is something that until three years ago, we really rarely saw. Uh, and if we saw it, we saw it at the biggest institutions in the country. Uh, what we see now is that there's a kind of a cottage industry, law firms that are suing and trying to sue uh, financial institutions, not so much to correct um, uh, behavior, but to get settlement fees. And so we recognize that, for example, the issue of representment was raised first in lawsuits, not by the agencies, and now has become an agency concern. Uh, the reason litigation is so important is because it doesn't take very much for a lawyer to create a case. All he has to do is find one consumer who will give him a couple of months of statements and who says, yeah, sure, they done me wrong. And that gives them the basis to file a suit or to issue a demand letter with a consumer represented as their plaintiff or as the person for whom they're making the claim. Uh, JMFA's clients have seen in this last three years uh, a number of litigation attempts. Institutions have received letters, they've received suits. Uh, my office is very aggressive in responding to assist our clients. We're not lawyers, we're not offering a legal response, but instead we believe that we can help our clients at no cost to provide a response that their lawyers can use without having to pay the lawyers to learn everything about banking or about their overdraft program. And our ability to assist them has, has uh, resulted in not a single one of our clients having had to pay anything or settle anything with these law firms who are so aggressively trying to kind of corner the market. Unfortunately, lawyers can be creative. And so I won't say it'll never happen. I'll only say that so far, Every client financial institution that's had a suit or a demand letter that's worked with us has avoided having to spend anything to pay the lawyers off on the other side. And I think that that's important because financial institutions work very hard, very hard to make the right decisions to support their consumers. Lawyers that are just sort of um, uh, litigious, kind of aggressive, trying to find a way to make a buck, they should not benefit from the great work that we do inside financial institutions. And I believe that a lot of what we do uh, should fully respond to the needs of consumers and should not warrant any kind of you know, litigation claims. Um, I'm not saying everybody does everything right, I'm just saying I don't think we do that much wrong. 
I would agree. I think you can't find an industry that is more um, aware of how they should handle things on behalf of their uh, account holders. And I think that the takeaway that I hear you saying here, uh, litigation has occurred. You, If you have a program, understand how it might support you. If you don't have a program, understand that you know, you may still be caught up in it, but be ready and, and armed and understand how you handle overdrafts. Did that, is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And it also kind of opens the door for the larger conversation, which is, you know, I believe that every institution should make a part of what they do um, a partnership. Um, you know, just as we can assist our clients who get an you know, out of the blue demand letter or a lawsuit, um, it takes the burden, if you will, off the financial institution whose people are already fully engaged. Nobody's sitting at their desks looking for work. It allows that financial institution to have the comfort to know it's not just me holding up my overdraft program. It's me and my partner organization. Uh, we've been in this business for over 25 years just in the overdraft space. We were consulting in financial institutions for 15 years before that. A big part of what our company recognized a long time ago was that we can be the you know, compliance department, the overdraft department, the assist for a financial institution so that everything that they're focused on doesn't have to be put on hold to work with their overdraft solution. Instead, we get to supplement and really undergird the expertise within their own organization by being that sort of knowledge bank, if you will, you know, the, the, the subject matter experts on the outside. We work very closely with our clients. And one of the things that I've said for a long time is we don't give you a kit, we don't give you a box. Everything is tailored, customized to the institution. That's an important asset because that becomes something that really mirrors both what the institution's community needs and how the institution exists. So a lot of why I think the litigation and some of these examination and some of the issues that are going on with potential legislation are important is because somebody's got to keep their eye on that ball all the time. And a partner can do that for a financial institution where you know it's not easy to do I can't open accounts, but we can absolutely stay on top of everything that's going on in either state or federal changes to the overdraft space so that institutions know they'll have just what they need just when they need it. And our success rate so far has been able to demonstrate that with our transparency and our pricing and everything about how we deliver our solution, including training and compliance and all the other parts, has given our clients that level of excellence in the market, good examinations, satisfied consumers who are using a service that benefits them when they need it, and clear compliant disclosures in all program components. Uh, when I got here in 2001, we didn't have even the level of software sophistication that we have now. That's a huge asset. Um, not having to ask the court to design a bunch of reports, but being able to say, I've got a partner, my partner's got all the reporting that I could possibly need. If somebody shows up tomorrow and says, hey, where's your report on this? Because the state legislator decided to make up a new report. Our systems can do that without having to have the core, you know, redesign and cost significant amounts for financial institutions. So to me, all of the, you know, everything around overdrafts 
you have to have somebody who can work alongside, not to replace you. We don't do the work. It's not our program. It's always going to be our clients. But it's important because things do change in this environment and because the needs for compliance are great. And we want to make sure that financial institutions have all their, if you will, all their balls and all their ducks in a row. I said balls earlier, it's ducks in a row. I use as many illustrations as I can to paint the picture. <laughs> No problem. You know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted you on is, is your understanding and your passion about this space. You have to have both. And, you know, there are other providers and certainly financial institutions that may have a, an alternative service. From where you sit, Cheryl, where should financial institution begin when really thinking about their current service, like evaluating it or maybe evaluating someone that's talking to, to them about a program? What are some tips really uh, you would see from your knowledge base? So one thing I would, I would suggest is that uh, everybody's going to do great on the sales side. Everybody's going to say great things on the sales side. Um, that's the nature of sales. Uh, I would make sure the conversations with clients, some of whom they give you maybe as references, some of whom you find on your own, I think that that's important. I think that every institution should ask a lot of questions around compliance because the environment has changed so much. And right now it's kind of a hot button in the industry. There's a lot of attention to overdraft. I think that what's important is the longevity of relationships. Uh, we've got clients that have been with us 12, 15 years, still running the same overdraft program. It's been, it's been upgraded, it's been improved. We've given them software, they've had retraining, they've done all kinds of amazing things. But the reason that they've stayed is because we've given them the confidence that their program is fully responsive and compliant. And over these years, what we've seen is a lot of institutions will contract for a short term and then say, I got it, I got it, I'm on, I'm, I can handle it myself. And then when they slide off of that contract with whomever their partner is, their program falls back into a state of non-compliant. I can't emphasize enough the importance of staying on top of everything. And that means you've got to find a partner who's doing that for you and doing that with you. And as well, I would also encourage, so you got to look at somebody who's going to focus on the things that are important. Revenue is important. Consumer satisfaction is important. Compliance is important. Ease of use is important. All of those are things that have to be built into the system. Sure, sure. And, and really addressing the things like fair pricing, transparency, proper and clear disclosure, maybe someone who can help you with the communication. How should you talk about these things? So I think you bring up some really good points, Cheryl. What do you see, I'm going to ask you to put on your future hat, what do you see on, on the horizon for overdraft programs in general? It would be easy to say that I don't think anything will change, but I think some things are going to change. I, I do think that there's going to be in this environment uh, some, you know, some tweaking, some small correctives, some enhancements to what we think of today as overdraft programs. I don't think that overdraft programs are going to go away. I think that financial institutions need to be able to provide a service to consumers. I think that consumers need to have some sort of a small facility to get them over the hump. You know, the statistics from the CFPB are that most consumer accounts that go negative cure in three days. Most people run out of money just before they hit their payroll. And the reality is that this is a service that's been in banking for decades sometimes discriminatorily, sometimes non-discriminatorily, 
but it's always been there because it's needed by consumers for the occasional, you know, short facility, short-term need. What I think is important is that the agencies and that our industry continue to focus on disclosure and transparency and giving the consumer the decision-making authority. You know, one of the things that we know in a fully disclosed solution like we have is the financial institution doesn't decide whether to char whether to um, you know whether to cause an overdraft or not. The consumer in the store is the one that makes that decision. What we decide is whether we're going to pay it or not. And since the consumer who's educated about the option of having an overdraft, they know that an overdraft fee exists. They know that when they go overdrawn, they're going to be assessed a fee. They know that their account balance will be negative, and they know that when they make a deposit the part of their balance that is negative will take that deposit away and they won't have those dollars left. They know that. And so the decision is theirs. They make the decision and they're comfortable with the service. I think some of the issues that have happened in our industry in the last couple of years, you know, from the junk fees to the representment to the issues around litigation come at their core because the institutions, you know, are not the ones making the decisions, but the consumers are. So what I would say is, as long as the consumer knows and is comfortable with and feels that the service is a valuable resource to them, they use it easily. Um, some of our clients from time to time have said, you know, I'm worried. What if the examiners come and want to beat me up? I go, you know, we had one client who said, I want to ask some clients that are heavy users, some consumers that are heavy users, whether we should turn them off turn them off the overdraft or no longer allow them to have overdraft fees. And part of the reason for his question was he was capable that an examiner was going to question him about heavy use from a small number of consumers. So you know what he did? He sent out a letter to all those consumers that were heavy users. And he said, listen, I can turn you off. You don't have to have this program. It's fine. Just tell me what do you want? And every single one of those consumers responded back to his letter and said, please leave my program alone. I'm fine paying those fees. It's a service I appreciate. And his examiner and he and we all agree, if the consumer's in charge, understands what's available to them and uses it wisely, it's a win. Some of the criticism in our industry has not been associated with disclosed programs. It's been associated with programs that are hidden behind the walls of those financial institutions systems. So if you're a large national bank, you don't have a disclosed program. You just decide on your own internally with algorithms and software, which items you pay and which items you don't. That does not benefit the consumer. And that's what I believe the agencies and the regulators need to take a look at. Not disclosed programs, we can always improve them, but there's nothing wrong with them. They're not critical programs that are causing consumer harm. I think that the programs that are not transparent do cause consumer harm. So what is my, you know, crystal ball say, my crystal ball says that hopefully they will find something that they can fix that will benefit us all, maybe improving disclosures even more, maybe discontinuing fees that are causing consumer harm. But I also hope that what they'll do is to recognize that what good elements there are in well-disclosed programs should be accessible more broadly. They should encourage, they should almost require. Make sure consumers know what's going on. Don't leave them in the dark. Don't send them one letter one time six years ago and never again. Keep the consumer, the decision maker about the fees that are being assessed. I think that that's the future for a stronger financial institutions 
uh, services around around overdrafts. I hope they get there. Um, I guess I'll add one more thing, just a small caveat. The agencies are run by people who get put into office by leaders. So when President Biden leaves, we may have all new leadership. And that can also cause change. Sometimes our environment is more political than I'd like it to, I'd like for it to be. And so I recognize that that's always possible as well. That's a very long answer to a very short question. <laughs> uh, Cheryl, it was great. And I love the um, putting the customer in the center of it. And that's something we advise. We curate, we own our customer experience. And the more we engage with our customer and the more we ask our customers what they need and then demonstrate uh, to our regulators that we really are engaging and meeting the need. Uh, I, I just really love what you said there, Cheryl. Uh, there's a lot to be said about strong programs and you know our industry is the best industry in the market and i'm really 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 excited for the work that we do at jmfa the the hundred people or so that work in my company are all bankers we came from you know banks and credit unions across the years and one of the things that is important to all of us is how do we strengthen our marketplace how do we make institutions stronger more financially sound more compliant more responsive and that's the business that we all got into. And I'm, and I'm grateful to be a part of your circle because I know that that's the business of all of the people that are listening to this session. And also to be uh, mindful of the fact that even when we do everything right, they're still gonna find something they wanna ask questions about. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. I just try not to get sideways. Exactly. It's uh, can't get upset about the questions. Well, Cheryl, yes. what an absolute pleasure having you as a guest today. We appreciate you being available to participate in today's conversation. And, and uh, if we have more questions or, or people listening uh, have want to continue the conversation, is it okay if we keep the door open to have you back someday? Oh, absolutely. I would love that. Oh, thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for allowing us to share some ideas with you. As always, reach out with any questions or comments. We look forward to hearing from you and having you listen to our next podcast. Today, our guest has been Cheryl Lawson, Executive Vice President of Compliance Review for JMFA. In today's podcast, we examined legislative, the legislative and regulatory landscapes surrounding overdrafts and overdraft programs, some awareness about the litigation that has occurred and may occur for your financial institution, how you may want to think about your own program or what you should think about if you want to implement a program. And lastly, Cheryl really talked about the importance of a disclosed program and engaging with your customers about participating in your program. You've been listening to Bank on Whitfully. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and tune into the next episode as we feature insights from other leaders in the financial industry and even more ways you can stay ahead of the curve.